0: Hello everyone and welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. And in this episode we're meeting Reike Bushi, director of the multi-award winning short film Love. Hello once again, welcome to episode 5 of Intimate Animation. I'm Ben Mitchell and I am joined by Laura Beth Cowley. Hello Laura Beth. So how are you, Laura Beth?
1: I'm very well.
0: Really? What's going on?
1: We got engaged.
0: What? <laughs> After only uh, four episodes <laughs> of doing this podcast, this this is the kind of thing that brings people together, I guess. Yeah. Although I imagine that probably people would have put Vegas odds that me and Steve would have gotten together before. So of course, now that we're going to be uh, getting hitched, no more of this dirty sex talk. it's time to make this podcast a little bit more chaste. Actually, I had sort of found that the first batch of episodes that we've done, they have been a little bit genital oriented, one might say.
1: (laughs) I wonder why.
0: But the idea is to tackle a bit of a broader spectrum. I think it's a little tricky because we're doing a sort of limited run series with potential for more. But certainly the ones that are kind of at the top of our pile have generally sort of been more about the sex side of love, sex, and relationships. Animation certainly serves that topic quite well, and I'm sure that there's going to be quite a lot more discussion of films like that as the series continues. But I kind of wanted to have a guest on who uh, had a film that was a little bit more representative of the other side, the kind of more visually abstract.
1: A less literal take on the idea of love essentially
0: yeah because even though the films that we've kind of been talking about like ivan's need or private parts etc have all had kind of vaguely abstract visual ideas throughout they have actually been quite sort of direct and literal in terms of what they're talking about the clitoris we talked about in the last episode and that's kind of a sort of factual oriented film even though it's kind of a series of animated skits and vignettes and stuff like that uh, so the film that we're going to be revisiting, because we've talked about this at some length before, is Love by Rekebucci. And we talked about this, I think, back in episode three, because that was around the time we would have seen it at Encounters. Uh, and that's when we had the filmmakers of Ivan's Need on. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that one, you might want to have a little listen to our sort of initial impressions of Love. It's a really excellent film. It's a star that I think will be immediately sort of recognizable if you've seen her other film, Symphony Number no. 42 which is a film that also similarly did quite well on the sort of festival circuit. It got a lot of appreciation. This one I have noticed because it's been uh, popping up as I've been looking up festivals. While well, my own film's been doing its comparatively humble rounds on the circuit, and I'd uh, been looking forward to an excuse to catch it in fall. And so uh, a couple of months ago we got to, which is nice. So we'll be talking to Rekabukshi a bit later on in this episode.
1: She has a really lovely way of uh, using colour and atmosphere and and a lot of the stuff she does, you can kind of work out how she did it, but the way that she puts those things together visually, it's like watching someone dream. It's very mm. like, treacly. I can't really <laughs> everything sort of oozes really pleasantly. And I think that's why in this film, dealing with the idea of love works really well because it kind of Visualize that idea <sighs> <laughs> Okay, the
0: pleasant oozing of love
1: <laughs> I feel like everything should just have a ah, noise happening out there all the time when the ponies are crying
0: <laughs> yeah there's a certain degree of like absorption I guess <laughs> as a motif and things sort of you know coming together as one everything so to speak. just
1: has a really nice like floaty atmosphere it's like whatever planet they're on all the uh, gravity's been sort of turned down so everyone should say you just ponder through life <laughs> like when one is in love
0: exactly we'll sort of go into this a little bit in the interview it's sort of beyond the kind of immediate sort of notion of okay the love between a man and a woman or a woman and a woman and a man or whatever a couple romantic slash carnal slash whatever love it's kind of An allegory for love in general, different kinds of love, different kinds of companionship, different kinds of pairings or unions, that sort of thing. And because they're not humans, they're these kind of animalistic alien creatures on these very sort of tranquil planets with little smiley faces that then kind of imbue in them this extra degree of interpretation. It's quite a long film for a short film. It's nearly a quarter of an hour long, but just wonderful to just look at. Like, you get absorbed into the film. I certainly felt like I did.
1: It'd be a film that would be really nice in a planetarium. I kind of just want to be enveloped by it.
0: Yeah, like, kind of just, yeah, just have it all around. Yeah,
1: Like, on a big panoramic screen <laughs> that just surrounds you, and you just lay in the middle on, like, a big communal bed.
0: That's, a, that's an idea for an animation festival. Just a big, like, you know, planetarium orgy thing.
1: Just, like, you know, like, when they see it in, like, what are they called? trampoline rooms and then they just have that big pit full of like chopped up foam
0: I I don't know what you're talking <laughs> I think this may be some place you dreamed no,
1: just... if you go to like a trampolining place like
0: a... oh wait wasn't this on The Apprentice yes yeah okay there you go <laughs> I know what you mean now so what an animation festival held in a trampoline well, warehouse it's like... like
1: a big circle yeah. and then it's all chopped up foam so we all lay in it or submerge ourselves in it. And then we're surrounded by this animation.
0: Okay, where do the trampolines come into play?
1: There are no trampolines. Just, oh. I just want the pit of foam.
0: Okay, so you just want a... a, a big... I
1: feel like this is something Click would do.
0: Well, if they're listening. Maybe that's something they, they'll implement I for imagine 2017. I a sponge pool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the weirder things that happened. They showed one of my films in an actual pool. That was a bit weird. It was like a water-themed screening.
1: Were people on little boats or were they swimming? I think it was like
0: a big, like, outdoor heated bath type thing.
1: Communal soup.
0: Well, I think that there could be potential in your um, foam pit, planetarium idea. Yay. Uh, The other sort of thing, I mean, it's sort of a nice idea that I guess it does introduce a rather nice concept that the nature of love, such as it is, isn't something that's limited to just romantic love or, you know, It's types of love, like, all across the spectrum that can be dealt with and have been dealt with quite effectively through animation. One that I immediately comes to mind, and I guess it's because of the time of year it is, just having gone past Halloween. And inevitably, you get this influx between now and Christmas of reminders that The Nightmare Before Christmas exists through all the like the little Facebook posts and sponsored merchandise and stuff like that that pops up on news feeds and things like that. And that's a film that I actually kind of... It pops into my mind quite a bit because I've noticed as an adult lots and lots of people, it seems, have, have grown up with that film. I think a little younger than me, maybe just like the generation after. And the the love story of that film, which is a very sort of... It's it's that kind of like I guess the standard kind of Disney love story in the sense that it ends with promise, and it ends with I guess the character that's being yearned after finally sees that you know the what he really wanted was right under his nose etc. But there's something about the characters in particular and that seems to be really have really sort of dug their talons in I think with like people really really adore. That pairing Jack and Sally
1: I always hated Sally Growing up
0: Because you, you wanted to crack at Jack
1: I just found her really annoying and weaselly And pathetic I, I think in my head I always was like just tell him you freak
0: <laughs> Was she like the Barb Of the Nightmare Before Christmas like <laughs> yes. the, Just the mousy
1: i see one that everyone's like, oh, Sally. I'm like, eh, yeah, grow a pair.
0: No, I guess that's sort of it. Then I guess maybe that's something that people identify with. This is the weird thing: the Barb phenomenon of Stranger Things, like How all these. We ended up here? Well, this is a, like a recent example. Like everyone went, you know, nuts over this character who's just the the meek, like non assertive friend of the you know more photogenic girl, who's you know making marginally marginally making her way sort of up the social ladder in school and so her sort of plain jane friend is kind of left behind and every woman i know none of whom i'm sure really led that kind of adolescence but they all kind of feel on some level that that character is like their kindred spirit and i think that maybe there's a little bit of that to Sally the Ragdoll as well. I think like
1: of all of Tim Burton's films and and especially Nightmare Before Christmas it sort of calls to a lot of different demographic of people because everyone everyone considers themselves an outsider even the most popular people. I think in my as a child i like to think that after the like credits roll and stuff Jack was like i'm just not into you. <laughs> like you're a nice girl and thanks for the potion and the the Santa Claus hat and stuff but you know.
0: I don't think they even kiss at the end. Do they yeah. Do they just hug? I
1: think they go in to kiss and then it pans up. Oh, alright. I, I always like to think that he got with the uh, weird sea woman in the fountain.
0: See that, yeah, because you'd be Jack in that situation and you'd need to be like, oh, I've really got to be nicer to my mate. Have a little cuddle on top of this weird hill and then maybe she can hook me up with a sea woman friend. Yeah. That's the more realistic tale. Mm-hmm.
1: Or the idea that Jack just wouldn't want to be with anyone. Because he's quite clearly asexual.
0: Well, it's also, where do you go from there? You know, like, one's a doll and one's bones. Like
1: I remember once reading this really disturbing fanfiction when all my friends were reading fanfiction. I was like, but I wasn't into Harry Potter or Twilight. But there's just this whole world of fanfiction out there. And one of them was a fanfiction for Nightmare for Christmas. And the, what happened afterwards? And it was like... What if Jack and Sally wanted to have a baby? How the hell would that happen? And it was a fan fiction that discussed that basically. And they I, go. I hope they
0: got to the bottom of it.
1: Well, they go to the doctor, and he makes them a baby. But there's all these like weird, like really poorly written dialogue of them.
0: But the doctor in the wheelchair, or yeah. just an OBGYN?
1: <laughs> doctor Fink.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. There's that. It's a pretty sort of common thing, isn't it, for fan fiction to just kind of become this little outlet for. Repression, yeah, and then you know that that Fifty Shades woman became a billionaire. So, what for one of them?
1: Yeah. Anyway, let's move on.
0: <laughs> I was thinking also a bit about Marion Max, which isn't really a love story in any kind of you know obvious sense, but it's about a quite touching epistolary relationship in a kind of unlikely way, and I always felt that was quite charming.
1: I like the fact that in the film he sort of addresses the potentially creepy aspect of it when Mary's mother finds the letters and is like, I don't want my daughter talking to them.
0: Yeah.
1: Random New York Middle-aged old man. Yeah. <laughs> so at least, I mean, she's a drunk and doesn't know what she's talking about, but at least he sort of addresses it. He doesn't just feel like the audience should just be like, this is all hunky-dory.
0: <laughs> as far as like the type of friendship and a very hard-to-understand friendship and how both of them had their own issues as regards their own love lives separately. Like how, you know, as someone with Asperger's, you know, he found the concept very daunting and it would, you know, frequently sort of induce panic attacks and stuff like that. And how this pen pal relationship was a repository for a lot of getting his thoughts in order on that. Just a very interesting kind of bond that uh, you wouldn't sort of see explored elsewhere. No. You know, and I also love, you know, her own sort of, issues the guy that she sort of yearns for the greek guy and how they have their moment in the sun they have their you know moment on top of the hill or whatever and then their marriage quickly goes south and he turns out to well i won't spoil it i suppose people never saw the film but it's an interesting sort of move to then sort of say okay you have the the wedding you have them going off into the sunset and then you have the aftermath which isn't necessarily that rosy yeah certainly not for her I think that another film that kind of explored that sort of innocent side of love, that sort of companion side of love, and how love can be sort of a touchstone, would be this film that's during the rounds of Now My Life as a Courgette. It's a film about children, essentially. It's a film about, and two of the characters have a kind of blossoming pre-adolescent quasi-romance. But then it's, it could almost be looked at as a almost brotherly-sisterly relationship because the environment that they're in You know, it's a foster care environment where they all have this kind of sibling-esque camaraderie and, um, you know, rivalries and things like that. And the relationship between this very concerned social worker and the main character, the boy. This sort of fatherly impulse, he sort of feels, to the boy that was communicated very well. It's a film I know you haven't seen yet, but it's definitely one that... Certainly in the version that I've seen, uh, which I believe is the version that's playing at Manchester... Uh, In a couple weeks. So, if anyone's up at the Manchester Animation Festival, that's one to uh, prioritize, I would say.
1: I've been like waiting to see it for years because I've seen like production photos from people that I know that worked on it and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm gutted. (laughs) I haven't seen it yet. One day.
0: And I think that that's kind of a good scenario for it to kind of. It's like the, the, you know, the, the thing sprouting in dirt, essentially. Is, is what it's about.
1: The Orchid Child is a psychological term for a child who... The Orchid Child and the Dandelion Child... The dandelion Child is a child that strives in the worst situations, so sort of like child abuse or not being very bright or whatever, and somehow manages to succeed. And the Orchid Child is the idea of a child that can only thrive if given support and love and constant... Like congratulations, and validation, stuff. validation, constant validation.
0: Yeah, I think there's a little of both of those in in this film. Yeah, it, it's you know something that Most it's not that it's movies. not specifically the theme of the film, but I think that certainly it does embrace how important, appropriate nurturing and consistency and security in one's environment, you know, helps people come out of their shells. And at the same time, like there's a character who's sort of the He's almost an antagonist in the first, like, act of the film. He's one of the kids who's at this care home, and then they all sort of... As is often the case with like, young boys in friendship, they start off kind of combative against one another and then forge this mischievous alliance together. But they are the boy, the boy who's kind of, you know, the aggressor, the one who's sort of the alpha of this pack of misfit children the impression is that he is kind of thriving in that environment, that he has a situation where he can actually assert himself possibly for the first time as a reaction to the environment that he came from, perhaps. So that's an interesting kind of, That's you know, when I see it again, I'll I'll probably watch it a bit with that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it really just sort of goes to show just how wide the spectrum is when it comes to animation taking on love and all of that. And I think that Rekha Berkshi's film is a great example of just that. People who've seen it, I'm sure, would agree. And if you haven't seen it, we'll be talking a little bit about where you can see it after the interview. But how about we hear from her? Yeah. So here's Rekha Berkshi. Well, uh, when, we, uh, when we interviewed you previously, I think it was during the run of Symphony No. 42. So maybe to begin with, you could talk a little bit about what you were up to between that film and then working on Love.
2: I pretty much started to work on love right away. Like I I graduated with symphony and then I went on ASF, which is this animation production workshop between uh, four schools in Europe. And then I went on this little trip for eight weeks and I kind of uh, met fashion pictures on the way and they contacted me through, like they saw my, blog. And I don't know, we had a little meeting and then I invited them to the pitch and whenever I pitched Love and it was very in the early stage, but it was starting to develop basically a stride after symphony. It took some time to fund it. Mm -hmm. It's a really long process in France and in Hungary as well. So after that, I went to Viborg, the animation workshop has an artist residency for animators and Mm. comic people and that kind of uh, area and i went there for eight months to pre-produce the film i mean kind of get it ready for production and in this time we also gathered the money with from hungary and from france and then i could go back and produce the film there with some animators who i could hire help me out because I mean it's a 14 and a half minute film and and I also knew that I would want to work with some great people who I got to know in Viborg, in and um, there was one girl from California who was in Europe and she wanted to stay and work and then I invited her to come to Denmark and she was very open for it because she was at GoBlom from CalArts she was an exchange student and she was interested in Staying a little longer after her exchange, mm. so that's how we came together. And I mean, mm. we finished Love a year ago. It took four months to animate and the backgrounds and composite and sound. So,
0: mm.
2: yeah.
0: The I remember when uh, we talked to you last. You were very sort of positive about how the experience was at the animation workshop. I think you were still there at the time. Okay. Um, since I mean, since then have what would you say were the sort of main things you kind of came away from that experience with? Did you learn anything in particular about your process? Or
2: I mean, I kind of learned how I really like to work in mm. an environment like this, meaning that there is a lot of people working in animation there and everyone is doing different things and it's very inspiring To They can also help each other out very well and it's also a nice environment to freelance and to be your own Boss if you want to call it like that because if I'm now I'm back in Hungary for a while and it's harder to work in an environment which is like a city and it's bigger and people are more spread out and you're not in the same studio and it's it's different so I really prefer something like a small place with like a studio with many people and regarding my own process, I think it's very different from like, every project is different for me, how mm-hmm. I work on it. And I learned a lot through the production of this film because I never worked with, like, a normal budget and, like, actual production companies. Like, I mean, I only graduated with Symphony, so that was a very different type of process.
0: Mm-hmm. So was it essentially then an international co-production as far as the funding or were you, did it extend to the actual production as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was an international. Like, mm. It was from ARTE, French and German television, and then CNC and Hungarian governmental money. This, these were our three main mm. like money sources. And then Denmark gave us the this, this space and a lot of support to actually produce the film and the people who were involved were from uh, france from germany hungary Mm -hmm. and california and denmark
0: (laughs) so were you working with them like remotely directing through skype or stuff like that or
2: no we were in the same space like okay so they all came together yeah cool except David Kemp who was the sound and he made the music mm-hmm. and he was in Berlin and he still is and I never met him through the process but everyone else was around because I I really prefer especially with the three animators who I was working with the most, like the four of us, we were in the same room because I think it's, it would have been completely impossible to make this movie this fast and in a quality like this with only like a Skype connection, I think. Yeah.
0: Well, certainly given that um, that this particular series we're working on is focused on uh, animation that deals with like love and relationships and this is definitely a film that's sort of a perfect fit for that Compared to the other films that we've talked about so far, um, it takes on the subject in a more abstract way. And so, I guess, why was love uh, an appealing sort of subject matter to make a film about? In this
2: case, it was basically okay, I'm going to try to make a film about the sensation or that atmosphere of, or like try to capture like a feeling of love. And I think it's really hard because it's such an interesting. if you, like I made some research of course before I started and it was an inspiring process because I was listening or reading about how people think about it as a biological scientific thing that you can completely just put down in numbers basically and then the other side is very religious and very mythical and you're supposed to know that you're in love, Uh, just know it, you know, Mm -hmm. and everyone should have the same kind of Knowledge of it, and it's a very weird thing, I think, like a very um, interesting topic, and I, I rarely see things that I I feel capture it somehow, really, and I just made an attempt because I was interested. And then I started to, of course, draw and I, I mean I was mainly drawing on this one. I wasn't really writing anything down until I really had to apply and then I had to for funding and then I had to write down some concepts and stuff like that. but yeah, the main idea was to get like I wanted to make a film that you want to kind of uh, touch in a way and keep it abstract, but still. I mean, there's a lot of characters in it and it's not completely abstract. You can like have a story. There's like a little bit of a story as
0: well. Hmm. It's sort of similar a bit to symphony number 42 in that sense. It makes use of these very wonderful visual ideas. They sort of stand alone to begin with. And then as it goes on, they kind of gradually interweave. Applying those ideas and making like a story out of them. Do you have a specific process for that? I
2: mean, uh, in this case, I was choosing to draw uh, on post-its, which was like a really nice little format because it's like, you can't go crazy on it. It's kind of like a restriction for yourself. And then I had a lot of these and it it had all kinds of little, either just characters or situations or just like, I tried to think of haikus. It Mm. was like, how they make sense, like, not really make sense, like, the words, let's say, on their own, but if you, like, look at it and, like, have it next to each other, it makes a different, new picture, and they add up, and they complement each other somehow. So that's how I try to put together um, a map of images, and then it slowly... Forms, but it was really like with love. It was a way longer process than with symphony, and mm-hmm. this, and I kind of approached it similar, like a little differently. I remember with symphony, I was writing a lot all the time, and then uh, that gathered ideas more and more and more. But with love, it was purely visually inspired from my sketchbook and from these post-its and all that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were saying before about the metaphor of the film. Would you say it's it's specific to like the human experience of love, or is it sort of beyond that, like other types of relationships?
2: I would say it's a general, more general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, as because I'm a human, I guess I'm interested. <laughs> so I don't know how like other creatures feel about it, but I guess it's more a general statement about like a cycle and like how I liked. I was reading once about the fact that after a while, humans just grow kind of too much into each other and too together, and they like disappear because they kind of can't see the other person anymore. That mm-hmm. there's no distance, and that's kind of a natural process. And I find that I found that like a nice picture as well. And then I and then I could interpret things, and there was many examples like this where I read something like that I found is like a nice metaphor, actually, for how this works. And I don't think it's... Many people tell me how depressing it is and met, like, <laughs> melancholic and whether I had some kind of bad experience or breakup or something, but it had nothing to do with that. It was mm. like... And I, d- I don't think it's very melancholic. I think it's just something that happens and it turns into something else and mm. then it's going to... Go on and, yeah. and do different things, you know. It's, it's it, you know, you can't stay the same.
0: Yeah. The time. <laughs> so, w- were there any cues from your own life or first hand observation that determined the way events play out at all?
2: No, I wouldn't say no. I was just generally interested in making a film about love. Mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting, to be honest. Though.
0: Yeah. Going back to what you were just saying, I did find from discussion, having seen it at a couple of festivals, the audience response, it's always positive. Interestingly, though, some people do regard it like there's one camp that, that felt it was quite melancholy, quite sad, and others that felt it was quite heartwarming. Mm. I think I, if I'm honest, I, I, I felt like I fell into the second camp a bit more, like I came away from it feeling optimistic, I suppose okay. <laughs> but did you? were there any particular intentions you had of to how it should be perceived or was it sort of deliberately meant to be kind of open
2: I, I really try to stay open and not push something with, generally if I'm making a film because I think it's more elegant if I don't tell someone what how to feel but then and it's nice if I get different reactions because then it means that i I could kind of succeed on that a little bit at least because I myself don't like it if I am forced into feeling something specific or if I am very much told uh, how a story should go and how I should feel about it. So I prefer that and I, I try to do the same. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. Other thing I really liked in the film, the uh, the moments of dialogue, the sort of on-screen exchanges between the characters um which were a little unexpected i think the, the point where it comes because the film's been going on for a little while mm-hmm. was that something that was always going to be a part of it or was that an idea that came up later on
2: it was really like always a part of it uh-huh. because i i kind of felt like and it, and people were in the beginning commenting when i showed the animatic for to people they were um, some people were telling me how it's weird that there's only one part where they communicate and and I never felt that that would be weird because I think that dialogue isn't is not even considered a dialogue because it's such an easy it's like a few words, and I kind of feel like it's part of the picture and not a subtitle but something that's like on that's like in the picture. So when people ask me to send them subtitles for those two sentences, I'm kind of ignoring it because I feel like it's if you don't like if you don't speak English you also understand it. Like really it doesn't make a difference. But I think it's a nice addition and it's a nice and I, I never wrote dialogue and so I'm actually really interested in doing that but because I never Saw a dialogue from myself that I thought is strong enough. I I didn't do it yet, but I want to just. But until then, I just <laughs> took this very very simple thing that kind of doesn't try to be very complicated or. Hmm. It's just part of the image, basically. Yeah,
0: it works very well. I thought it's a nice little sort of bit of of humor as well when it sort of they make off with the um yeah. the horse character. <laughs> and the overall look of the film I, you know, I I think is absolutely wonderful. I, um, did you use any particular software to kind of visually get it right or was it a mix?
2: It was a very simple process if you want to call it like a 2D digital animation. We used Photoshop for I mean, I used Photoshop for backgrounds and then the TV Paint for animation. Mm. And I made some customized brushes on interior Paint, but just to fit some something. Like sometimes there was some painterly like textures in it that needed to be more customized. But other than that, I think it has like a hand drawn feeling to it because also the, the backgrounds are very much full of. Uh, it, it was very like painted in Photoshop like. Mm. And then the characters, like, don't have so much, they are very simple, but somehow it works well, I think, with the painterly backgrounds. And then I had some 3D in it, which was an interesting new thing to try to kind of put that in and embed it into a 2D environment. That was a big challenge, actually, to figure out the style of of that.
0: Hmm. Going back to like the the structure of the story itself and making the story out of these sort of various, this assortment of ideas, was dividing it up into three parts, was that sort of helpful as far as grouping ideas or was that in place before you started the ideas?
2: I think that was there from the very beginning, the idea of the chapters. I also, I'm I'm like, I'm kind of a fan of chapters for some reason, Mm. I, I I like it. And it made it also more symmetric and somehow... I was trying to make this whole film quite, like, straightforward. It's called, you know, the title is Love. It's, like, it has a lot of, like, very centered composition. It's it's very direct, in a way. And I, I wanted to do that. And I think a lot of people... Another, I don't know, but I heard this as well, like as a response to the film that they thought it was kitsch, e kitsch somehow, and I think right. that was also an attempt. I really like went for that sometimes in the film to not try to pretend that it's not about something that it is about. I mean, it is. I mean, it's easy to fail. I think if you try to say like. It's really hard to describe this in English, but it's a feeling that I have that you kind of... If you go directly into something and take take it in and make it very like direct, then it doesn't seem like you're trying too hard or you're doing something that you are maybe not able to do. I, I don't know. It's, uh, but the chapters were definitely part of that kind mm-hmm. of attempt where I thought it's very like this, 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 and this is happening. And than the end
0: hmm.
2: and it helped in the structure in the film as well
0: so since the film did you go sort of straight into commission stuff or have you been doing other personal work
2: yeah actually it was <laughs> and we finished and then right away there was like a little commission job that i took because uh, hmm. it was like just too good to not to take it because it was a really nice group of people and so that was a little danish production it was very short just hmm. like a month but i could feel that this is just like I should have taken a break like it was just too quick and too like too much but I'm happy I took it and it was a nice little project but it was just like a little commission thing and um, since that I doing work for festivals mainly I did two signal films and some like design and or not actually three, so no films. and I like these jobs because it was a nice few months because I could basically also do my thing in it, but I was also earning some money, which is necessary, of course, for keeping a good balance.
0: So do you feel like you'll make more of your own work soon, or do you need more of a break?
2: No, I I am actually really ready to do something new, but uh, just somehow little projects are coming along that are like interesting, and I don't want to say no to them. So unless like unless I'm really like I have to be. I think at the moment I have to be really interested in a commissioned project to take it because I'm very ready to do something completely independent. But I have some things coming up and it's pretty interesting. And that was Rekabushi talking
1: to Ben about her film Love, and you can see more of her work at rekabushi.tumblr.com.
0: Upcoming screenings for Love include the Hanoi International Film Festival in Vietnam, this week through to Friday the 4th, as part of the Berlinale Spotlight Program 2, That same program will take place November 26th and 27th at the Kuala Lumpur Experimental Film, Video, and Music Festival in Malaysia. Closer to home, I'll be screening Love at the Manchester Animation Festival later on this month. Festival pass holders can check it out as part of the Squiggly screening on Wednesday, November 16th at 3 p.m., the event space and home we'll also be screaming laurie malipat traverses le clitoris that we talked about last episode and lots of other great films so come on by in fact right after there's the squiggly quiz i'll be doing with steve and we're also doing a live podcast on thursday 17th at 11 a.m you can visit manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk for more info and everything else they have on offer it's looking to be a fun year on the subject of festivals, here's the latest roundup of where and when my film Cleam and Throw* will be screening. It's another busy weekend up ahead, with the final stop of the Nuit de metrage tour, taking place in Lausanne in Switzerland. this Friday, November 4th. That's at the Pathé Les Galleries at 7.25pm. And that same day, it plays as part of the Shorts 5 programme at Brazil's Anima Mundi Festival in São Paulo, Screening at the Cinematheca Brasileira at 6pm, with a repeat screening November 5th at 3pm. Also on November 5th, it's in the Kuandu International Animation Festival in Taiwan, as part of the KDIAF's Choice 5, starting at 9am at the TNUA Ecological Arts Complex. And if you happen to be a student at the University of Gloucestershire, I'll be amongst its guest speakers next week for their Media Festival, doing a presentation on the world of Squiggly, my work and my new book, Independent Animation, developing, producing and distributing your animated films, out now through CRC Press. My talk will be at 3pm Thursday, 10th of November, following the wonderful Richard Starzak of Ardman. More info on the festival at uogmediafest.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben L Mitchell and Laura Beth is at Cowley. Squiggly is at Squiggly, Squiggly Animation on Instagram, Squiggly Magazine on Facebook, and the main website, as always, is squiggly.com. I actually got chewed out the other week for saying it's squiggly.com when technically it should be squiggly.co.uk. It redirects, people. I'm trying to save you a couple of keystrokes here and all I get is grief. But either way, there's lots of good stuff on there, I'm sure you'll love it, so check it out. Thanks again to Rekabushi for her time and for making such a lovely film. She's also on Twitter at Rekabushi. That's R-E-K-A-B-U-C-S-I. And again, rekabushi.tumblr.com. There's also the Facebook page for love, which is facebook.com slash loverekabushi. And that's all from me. And that's all from Laura. Bye-bye. And we will see you for episode six of Intimate Animation. Yes. (laughs)